another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Let's go. Let's talk about what we got to talk about. And today it's good news because we get to talk about a Minnesota Vikings victory as the purple team gets back on the winning track. They capture their second win of the season. This is a week-to-week league, folks. It just takes one win to turn your spirits around and start to get your mind on a completely different track. And for Vikings Nation right now, that's on a positive track after uh, a bumpy start to the season. So lots to get to today as we break down the Vikings win over the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. We look ahead to their game against the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to break all of that down and much more to help me do that, as usual, is my partner and co-host, Giles. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Hey, hey, happy Wednesday. Uh, one step closer to the best day of the week. Monday's yes, almost sir. here, as I always say. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, what a game on Sunday. That was uh, uh, good and bad in a lot of ways, but I'm glad we pulled out with a W. Uh, yes. Because at the end of the day, we got to play the Niners on this upcoming Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, rather. And uh, that's going to be a tough game, uh, injuries included. That's uh, a team that can really punch you in the mouth, and I think we need to find a way to be able to do the same back. Agreed with you. And um, it'll be fun to break that that down and to... Uh, interstitch some season-long stats and trends while doing so. And I know you're chock full of those today, Giles. So I'm looking forward to um, introducing that part of the content on the show today. We'll get to that later on. We'll also discuss a path to making the playoffs for the Minnesota Vikings, despite that significant stumble out of the starting gate. Um, We'll take a look at the bottom and top five PFF performers from the win at Soldier Field. And uh, we'll talk some injuries and uh, lots more to get to. But first, let's dig down a little bit deeper, Giles, into that victory over the Chicago Bears as the Vikings make it, I believe, four wins in a row at Soldier Field. Uh, 19-13 to 13 winners in a game where the offense was, fair to say, stagnant um, and uninspiring, but the defense was just the opposite. Uh, Vikings knocked Justin Fields out of the game. They scored a touchdown on defense, had three takeaways, uh, and took over the game for a pretty decent stretch in the middle of the game that really turned things around and got the Vikings on the winning track. And they wind up beating a pretty ratty Bears group that does not look very good. Uh, they have a handful of talented players, but they're not. They don't look great uh, right now, and now their their franchise quarterback is hurt. So, um, you know, we, we discussed this before the show, Giles. Uh, one way to take a look at this uh, victory for the Vikings. Uh, two positives from the game that you took away and a negative from the game uh, that you took away. We want to skew positive here because ugly wins count the same as those uh, pretty wins, right? And and this one definitely wasn't a pretty win. There are some some things you don't love about the performance, but you have to love that you won the game. At the end of the season, they don't ask you how. They ask you how many. Mm-hmm. All right? So, uh, let's go through a couple of positives for each of us. I'll go first, then you can give two in a row, and then I'll close it out with my last positive. I'll start with Christian Derrissa. You are looking at, dare I say, the Justin Jefferson of offensive linemen in the NFL. A dominant player at one of the game's premier positions. By now, I'm sure you've seen the clips on the internet and on X of what Derrissaw was doing to Chicago Bears defenders, sometimes two or three of them on the same play. Mr. Pancake himself. Just embarrassing people. (laughs) literally paving the way for Vikings ball carriers to uh, extend drives and score touchdowns. Not really score touchdowns, but extend drives and gain yardage. 
Um, he's the offensive equivalent of a shutdown corner, you know, where um, a Darrell Revis can just shut down one receiver from the other team's offense. Xavier, you know, Xavier Rhodes can take Odell Beckham Jr. out of a game. Um, it allows it allows play callers and play designers more flexibility to do creative things with other players. To um, it, it it makes the opposing pass rush a little more one dimensional and a little more predictable. He's just um, a dominant player, and he dominated on Sunday at Soldier Field, and it was a big reason why the Vikings were able to avoid some catastrophes on offense and not spoil what was a very good defensive performance. So kudos to Christian Derrissaw. We're going to talk PFF later in the show, Giles, and I am sure Christian Derrissaw will be a subtopic within that topic of the show. Uh, what a performance. Yeah, my goodness. He is uh, exactly what you said. He is the Justin Jefferson equivalent on our team. He is yeah. a phenomenal force. He's actually, in my opinion, the best tackle in the league, full stop, yeah. both left and right. And, and uh, we're playing Trent Williams this weekend, with all due respect to him, who I know you've always been a big fan of, and you try to find ways for the Vikings to acquire Trent Williams. They never ended up doing so, obviously, and maybe it ends up being an okay thing because Derrissaw likely will be playing far, far past when Trent Williams is done, so... A hundred percent. I think that's what gives Darisaw the edge over Williams, in my opinion, is his age. And yep. more importantly, yep. his contract. He's on a rookie scale contract currently. So both are phenomenal players. If you could have both on your team, you're you're doing just fine. But uh, Darisaw is obviously a, a cornerstone of this offense. Yep. And I'm glad you started with offensive line because that was one of the things that I liked as well. Uh, beyond the entire uh, offensive line performance across the board, Mr. Garrett Bradbury, what a stuff. Yeah. He came in. Yeah. And absolutely balled out on Sunday. Right. Uh, he ended the day in a very positive fashion. He played every single snap and all the areas in which we were concerned about him going into uh, last season, he is completely fixed. I know we were yeah. concerned about him being a pass blocker and his ability to actually protect the quarterback. He actually was the second highest ranked pass blocker on the team last uh, on, on Sunday. He just did phenomenally. So Garrett Brad Garrett Bradbury across the board is phenomenal. If he can continue this performance, I think he has a place in the Ring of Honor for the Vikings because this is going Ooh. to be what saves this season if he can continue yeah. this performance because interior pressure is one of the worst, especially for Kirk Cousins. And yeah. If he can continue oh, yeah. this type of performance, we're going to have a uh, a much more high likely route to scoring some wins this season. Another uh, Rick Spielman, Mike, Zib Mike Zimmer um, contributor. Funny. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Finally know, earning his first-round status. Yep. I mean, a lot of the players who are holding this thing together right now came from the previous regime. Just saying. Yep. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> I will not thing. digress. I will not go down that path. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Bradbury's the your first positive. Yep. Slash offensive line dovetailing off Darisaw, which was my first one. Okay, how about yep. your second one? Second one is kind of unlikely. You may not have recognized this uh, at face value during the game, but Andrew Booth Jr. Okay. played 26 snaps, which I believe is a career high for him in a game, and ended the day uh, at a 67.9, which I believe is his highest PFF-graded uh, game so far in his career. He actually performed pretty well. And I think a lot of fans and even people inside TCO Performance Studio had written off Andrew Booth Jr. that he was washed and he could not make it onto the field. But they found a way to get him in the game plan, and he actually did very well. Uh, although he wasn't in the top five, I'll give you a little bit of a hint there. He was in the top 10. And although 67.9 isn't show-stopping phenomenal, it's not the train wreck that he has been thus far. Okay. 
you know, that's Andrew Booth being good and contributing is very good for the Vikings defense, right? Like, yes. and what I mean by that is, I'm trying to think of a the Vikings didn't really sign a player like this this past offseason that I can think of, but like if like let's say Patrick, let's say they re-signed Patrick Peterson and he was on the team this year and he graded out, uh, you know, through the first six games to be a 74 and a half. Mm-hmm. That'd be like, well, that's great. That's helping us win games right now. But yeah. that's not a harbinger for great things, you know, because he's only going to be here for another year or two at the most. And as it turns out, he's not even here anymore. But Andrew Booth being good, and this is what you were saying last week, Giles, and what we talked about with, um, you know, if Ed Ingram continues to progress and if Ezra Cleveland continues to play the way he does and Garrett Bradbury continues to perform at this level, this is very good for the Vikings because of what it could mean down the road. Mm-hmm. It's much different when a player like Andrew Booth does this compared to if Harrison Smith played out of his mind and graded at a 90 for the next four games. That helps you for the next month, but that doesn't help you for the next three years. Andrew Booth being good and playing this way potentially helps the Vikings for a few years down the road. 100%. Team control. Um, yep. So, all right, great. I will go to my second uh, standout, and I'm going to stick on defense. It was the fact that the Vikings defense scored a touchdown. And and really their overall uh, performance and um, the brand of football that they displayed for like an hour of game of, of real time on Sunday. And this happened late first half into early second half. If you remember, it was six to six late in the first half. Vikings had the ball, sack fumble, Chicago recovers. Three plays later, on the first play after the two minute warning, I believe it was, the Jordan Hicks interception. Um, on a play where the Bears are nearing the red zone and perhaps going to take a lead going into halftime because um, the game is tied 6-6. Six to six. You get a, a Jordan-Hicks uh, uh, interception. Vikings drive and score a touchdown late late in the first half, take a 12-6 to six lead. That uh, was a big enough game-changing sequence on its own, but then an even bigger moment came early or midway through the third quarter when Jordan Hicks picked up a fumble that was forced by Josh Metellus and and the defense scores. Um, And at that moment, with Justin Fields out, with the way the game was going, with how the Vikings defense was playing, I know it ended up being 19-13, guys, but that Jordan Hicks touchdown was, I mean, that to me, in my mind, as, as I'm watching the game, wondering about the outcome and it's hanging in the balance, when 58's running down the sideline to score a defensive touchdown, I'm saying... Chicago will not overcome this. No. This is an, it's an, a your win. Yeah, it, it's an insurmountable deficit for Chicago as they are constructed right now to overcome that. And that turned out to be the case. Um, so Metellus and uh, Jordan Hicks combined for the play of the game, in my view, and, and a play and a touchdown and a defensive score that, that sealed the victory. Yeah, exactly. Um, so honestly, I think there's a lot of other things that you can really like. There's some things that uh, maybe are there to dislike, which we can yeah. definitely get into. Uh, but I think there's definitely bones for our team to be able to improve upon uh, here because yeah. I think our team has all the right players to be more uh, situationally aware to take advantage of those type of plays and score more defensive touchdowns. Uh, I just think we haven't been playing that way thus far yeah. this season. So I'm yep. excited to see if we can take advantage yeah. of this momentum. Agreed. Now, the thing I, I, I didn't love, and I'm not going to get too hard on this point because Justin Jefferson is not playing, obviously, and quite frankly, I don't think anyone really knows when he's going to be back. And 
I am not one to question a player, especially a player who I've never met, and I've never met Justin Jefferson because I left before he arrived. Um, I don't want to question their competitive integrity and their competitive desire, but I think that there is some kind of correlation between Jefferson's urgency to come back and the Vikings' win total. Like that, mm-hmm. that's a that's a line and a graph and a relationship that has correlation to it. So I'm not going to be too hard on the offense here, but I have to say that that was not an inspiring output uh, in their first, you know, real test without Justin Jefferson. Uh, I did not like what I saw. I know it's against the defense that's got some players. I know it's on the road and it's Soldier Field, but that was not great, and it's not getting any easier on Monday night. I could not agree more. You're playing one of the best, most complete teams in the NFL, even with injury. That will be the toughest test on the schedule, in my opinion, period. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely correct in the fact that the offense, they sputtered. They did not perform in the way that I think they should have, considering the type of talent they have on the roster. I think there was schematic issues of how we attacked the, the football. I think there was uh, problems with who we put in when. I think yep. there was problems with actual player performance. I think TJ Hawkinson has kind of developed a, a little bit of a drops issue uh, this year, and I think he hasn't lived up to his potential in certain big plays. He's been a good blocker, and I, I don't want to discount him that he's been a bad tight end, but I think considering his pay, there's areas that I think he has fumbled figuratively that I think uh, we need to have him correct because he has been our wide receiver too of sorts. And uh, I mean that in a target sense, not necessarily yeah. a reception sense. And I think he needs to be able to step up a little bit more and create more separation for us to be able to actually be productive with and without Justin Jefferson, because I think Jordan Addison is a, is a pretty good wide receiver, but is tough when he's on the field and we're going to run a, a run play, not a good run blocker. And I think teams are able to figure things out. So all yep. that to say, we need to do a better job schematically figuring out who to put on the field when to be able to be more uh, unpredictable, because I think that's been part of this. Now, I also think that we need to have a little bit of a, a better pace to games. I think we're too slow and we lack urgency on the field. I know you talked about urgency in a, in a macro sense. I also think that we lack urgency on the field mm-hmm. and uh, when it comes to plays developing, or I think we're way too slow. I think there's some things that need to be fixed for us to be able to actually get back into a win column in a much more solidified sense. Okay. I, I don't disagree. Um, drop passes an issue, no punch in the running game an issue. Um, offensive line, a little bit of the saving grace here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the other thing I'll say, and I don't know that we need to get into this if you don't really have any input or data on it, but isn't it interesting the inverse relationship between big Kirk Cousins box scores and Vikings wins. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? It's weird how that goes. Yep. Yeah. When he performs great, things go a little sideways. Now, I think it's some people weird. would like to look at that and say that those are, are garbage points built up. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. That That's very interesting, especially when you apply the, the figurative pressure on the team or mm-hmm. when there's high pressure uh, versus no pressure at all, how he performs. It, it is yeah. kind of an interesting trend. Um, I don't know. You you know Kirk Cousins, I mean, in terms of his personality and what things uh, uh, are, are kind of driving him. So I'd be interested to see your take on that. But, yeah, definitely an interesting trend. Yeah. Kirk is um... – I mean, he's teacher's pet. He's a student. He's a computer, a machine. He he's not unemotional and unapproachable and and impersonable. I just mean from a football performance and decision making standpoint, 
he's flatlined and he's a computer, you know? So I don't think he ever thinks about his completion percentage. I don't think he ever thinks about his yards per attempt and trying to rank top five and chasing Fran Tarkenton's. No, I don't think that ever enters his mind. And I think whenever it gets introduced, he's uncomfortable even entertaining a discussion about it. Like I, mm. he's so pro team, mm -hmm. so win oriented that and so like just in the moment and myopic that I don't think he ever thinks about any of that stuff. So mm -hmm. him being a big box score guy and all that is not an accurate like criticism or even observation of him. He is literally just trying to win every single play almost to a fault, mm -hmm. almost to a fault, you know, where it's like, you know, it's fourth and 11 and the game's on the line and he, he throws a seven yard slant because that's where the progression took him, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, yeah, on on every third down of the game of the season, that is right. But on fourth down with the game on the line, that's not the right throw, right? Taking yep. a sack on that Hail Mary last year or uh, last week, right? Like, nope. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's a weird – I think it's a coincidence. I don't think the, – the big box score and then they lose and then the modest box score but they win this season I think is a total coincidence and I don't think there's any science to it. I don't think there's any correlation. I just think it happens to be a coincidence, and I think yep. a supporting thread of that is he didn't have a great box score this week. The Vikings yep. won, but if you look at the PFF data – which the way you describe it, Giles, is PFF is grading you on what you are asked or supposed to do, not on the outcome of what happened, right? That's, that's accurate. Yep. So if you as a quarterback make the right read, make an accurate throw, but the ball is tipped or not caught, it goes into the defender's hand and it goes down the sideline for a pick six, that hurts your box score and it hurts your team's performance, but you get a uh, and an oak, your PFF grade there is good because yep. you made the right read at the right time and an accurate throw, right? Yep. Yep. So PFF is not docking you for that pick the way it would dock you for a pick if you threw a bad ball or yep. to the to a covered receiver. So yep. I, I think it's a total coincidence. I don't look at Cousins as an overwhelmingly positive factor for them this season or negative. I think if you're looking for the significant factors in wins and losses this year, you have to look past or away from Cousins at other areas and other um, individuals. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I think it's far more on the the minor level mistakes plaguing the entire team, which, yeah. I mean, you've been in NFL locker rooms knowing how teams combat that. I'd be interested to see. But uh, outside of that, like, I think our team is actually doing well. We just – we always – put our foot in our mouths and we, we yeah. trip over ourselves. Like it is, it is becoming kind of laughable at this point, how mm -hmm. consistent they are with it game over game over game. They yeah. lead the league in turnovers lost offensively, like yeah. by a pretty wide margin at that. Yeah. So uh, considering the fact that they are that far in the hole, so to speak from a turnover standpoint, and they still lead the league in so many other offensive categories and that we actually are not winless is actually a true testament to our team, in my opinion. Call me a yeah. homer that I'm just trying to look for things. But, like, outside of turnovers, they're still a pretty good team. Now, I think the rushing game is something we'll have to get into. But outside of that, yeah. in the passing game, we're 
are in an interesting category. Well, yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, being 11-0 and in one score games last year and then lose, having already lost four of them this year, and it's like last year, you know, the critics would say they're the worst good team in the league, and this year the critics would say they're the best bad team in the league, and I think the truth yep. is somewhere in the middle there, you know. Um, but, and I, and I know last you're going to... didn't have turnovers. <laughs> I know, certainly not to this extent. I know we're going to get into some sort of season-long trends and, and data um, here in a little bit. But before we do that, let's get to one of the segments we always like to get to here as we look back on the last performance, and that's the PFF top and bottom five um, yeah. as we t- play the fun game of trying to take a guess and a stab at who was in there. So let's let's start on offense, Giles, and um, we won't um, – let's not really dwell on the negatives there um, on offense. Uh, we can get to some of the negatives on defense if you want. But um, from a positive standpoint on offense – I think there are three no no brainers like no duh they're in there and that's Darisaw, Bradbury and Oliver. I think if you go back and look at box scores and stats, you wouldn't put Oliver in there. But if you watch the game with a critical eye, or if you go back and watch tape or rewatch the game and look at him specifically, Josh Oliver is a dominant player. So I'm putting Darisaw, Bradbury and Oliver in there. Now. My other two, I'm going to guess, um, and we just talked about this, I'm going to put Cousins in there, and now I oscillated between O'Neal, and I actually oscillated between him and Osborne. But I think Osborne looked good early, but then tailed off, so I'm going to put O'Neal in there. So my top five, Derisaw, Bradbury, Cousins, Oliver, O'Neal, in no particular order, but I bet you Derisaw's first. You saw the grades before, didn't you? I did I not. Am I five uh, for five? You were, you were five for five, nice. starting with uh, the fifth highest graded offensive player, Garrett Bradbury. He okay. ended the day at an 83.8 pass blocking grade. Like that yeah. is elite level pass blocking. Finally, we've been able to get some good performance out of him. So he was the fifth highest graded player. Moving on to fourth was Brian O'Neill, right tackle. He's actually the best run blocker in the NFL. He leads the league in all NFL tackles in run blocking. He ended the day at a 78.8 grade overall. Uh, just phenomenal. And then third, Kirk Cousins, like you mentioned, uh, had uh, a good box score. He ended the day at an 83.5 grade, did well across the board statistically. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously we got a win out of the game, so that was great as well. And then the second highest graded player, Christian Derrissaw, what a, a stud. He is the number one tackle in the NFL across every category. Uh, he is, or at least overall, I believe he's he's uh, top three in every category um, at an yeah. 85.3 grade. Like he is the best tackle in the NFL in my opinion, you can't convince me of that. Right. When you watch that tape, he pancaked everyone he was looking at. Well, I mean, it's like when, like, you know, the way I, sometimes I like to do it is I like to watch it back. You know, kids are in bed and wife sleeping or working or whatever. And it's like, I got some time here and I like to watch it back. Let's see how this guy did. And then once I get a feel for how the game, like once I see enough good or bad to be like good game, bad game, I kind of stop. And like with Derrissaw, you stop early. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty obvious how well he played. Um, yeah. But he's second, so Oliver was higher than him, huh? Graded? He was the number one offensive graded player on Sunday. I mean, that's he had a all- ninety-one point five grade offensively. <laughs> he yeah. is currently ranked number one across every NFL tight end in the NFL. Like he is, he is the highest graded uh, tight end. Period. Full stop. What a signing! What now, a signing! Now, if you were to tell me that through six games that we had the best left tackle in the game. We had the best tight end in the game. 
Now, I granted he is he's hurt right now, but if you have Justin Jefferson, who is the best wide receiver in the game, you would think that we'd be undefeated. I know. That I we know. have the best player at each of those three positions. My goodness. Yeah. It shows how, how uh, turnovers have really plagued our team and really brought us down because when you look at our performance across these primary, very important categories, we're elite. We yeah. are elite at these categories. Just phenomenal. Um, yep. And, a, and a, a quick shout out to Cam Akers. He was the sixth highest graded player. Uh, he had a 68.4 grade, and I believe he uh, had a eight uh, yards per rush attempt okay. uh, on his, on his uh, snap. So he did very, very well when he did play. Yep. Um, all right. Um, let's very quickly go through maybe some ones who weren't so hot, and we want to see him be better this week against the Niners. I actually kind of struggled to figure this one out. I went with Hawkinson and Madison are in there. Yep. Um, I didn't love Powell. After that, I struggled a little bit to fill it out. So um, Hawkinson, Madison, and Powell, I cannot imagine graded out very well. Again, I just I continue to see a lack of pop in the running game, which is why I put Madison in there. I thought Powell had some trouble with his footing and – like Madison, he struggles to break tackles. When he's contacted, he goes down, which is the same as, as for Madison, which is so contrary to Madison's college tape. I remember when we drafted him, I was still with the team. I'm like, this guy, you, you know, you, you got to bring a cavalry to bring this guy down. And Madison doesn't break tackles ever anymore. So I got Madison and Powell in there, and I don't want to be too down on Hawkinson, but I am just so thumbs down on Hawkinson this season. It's It's a bummer. He looks to be a great guy. He's at the wild games all the time. You know, people like to be around him. I've got friends still with the team who love love him and to say he's great, but I I don't think he impacts games. Yep. So yeah, TJ Hawkinson was just outside the bottom five. He ended the day at a fifty six point eight grade. Did well in the pass blocking game, but everything other than that, he struggled. Okay. Um, so definitely hope we can turn that around because not only his price tag, but also his his importance to our game and winning those games is so, so big. So yeah. we really need him to turn things around. Um, but the bottom three, you had Ed Ingram coming in at the bottom. Third. Oh, really? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. he reverted back to the norm. He had a 54.8 grade. Uh, he struggled across the board again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously there's an extra Cleveland uh, uh, injury looming. It's not completely confirmed on whether he's going to play against the Niners or not. My wonder is if Ezra Cleveland does play, do they put in Dalton Reisner at right guard? Because when he did play, Dalton Reisner had a 78.4 pass blocking grade uh, right out the gate. Like, having not played NFL ball in a little while, he came in and was an absolute stud in the pass blocking game. So there's a chance that maybe he replaces Ed Ingram. But uh, Ed Ingram did come in at the bottom third. Uh, the second to the worst was Alexander Madison. He had, uh, I believe, 19 rush attempts and did very very poorly uh he was averaging like 2.2 yards per carry or something yeah. i think it's time that we need to switch those reps to go to cam Akers because cam Akers is significantly better in the pass blocking or pass blocking game uh and is averaging a higher yards per rush attempt so i'm hoping that cam Akers can maybe switch that around even considering that the pay they're throwing towards alexander madison also madison so drops ball drops passes I mean, yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and Akers is much better at that in the receiving game. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hoping that that switches around. I think that's actually one of our keys to victory against the 49ers, in my opinion. Okay. Yep. And then coming in at the worst was Brandon Powell. He did not do well uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to dock a guy too much for losing their footing, but I just I just don't – I I like Powell as a player, but I didn't like him in the Bears game. I, it just wasn't a good go for him there. Um, all right, defensively. <clears throat> 
my guesses are Metellus, Hicks, Murphy, Hunter, and oh, I have six. I have Bullard and Booth, so I got to pick one. So I'll pick Bullard. Bullard. Hicks, Metellus, Bullard, Hunter, and Murphy. And I actually have a star next to Murphy. If you tell me Murphy is one of the top like two or three, I won't be surprised. I, I think he had a great game. Fumble recovery, a TFL, a pick, and three pass breakups for Byron Murphy. Yep, he did come in at the sixth overall graded player. What the heck? Just out of five. <laughs> what the heck? In fact, he All actually right. had the best game of the season, in my opinion. Byron Murphy yeah. Jr. has struggled immensely through the first five games. So game six was incredibly important for him. Definitely bounced back. So hopefully we can continue this this streak. Uh, end of the day at a 68.4 grade, had by far and away his best performance in coverage, played uh, 65 snaps. Like he was he was doing very, very well. Okay. And then coming in at fifth was Harrison Smith coming in at a 68.7 oh. grade. Uh, right. Did very well across the board. He had a few poor pass rushing reps that dinged him a little bit. Otherwise, I think he would would have been significantly higher uh, on okay. this list. Uh, but Harrison Smith definitely had a, a decent day. Coming in at four was our boy Kyrie Stanga, Mr. Nose Tackle himself, coming in at a mm. 73.4 grade. Uh, this guy has been uh, very well whenever given significant reps, so I'm really hoping that they continue that on. Now, I will say the Bears' offensive line was a little ding, so I think there's a chance that maybe inflates the look of our defensive line uh, for this game. Um, so just calling that out, but hopefully we can continue that against the 49ers. Okay. And then coming in at number three is our boy Josh Metellus. Yeah. Coming he in at a 74.4 grade. Yep. Do you know that Josh Metellus leads all NFL safeties in pressures, QB hits, and QB hurries? He is number one in all three of those categories as a safety. Nice. Well, just phenomenal. Yep, he and he had a sack force fumble uh, in yep. this game, which was a yep. very impactful play. Yep, exactly. Four pressures, like just balling out. He's exactly what we want, and we're not having, not having to pay him a ton. So, uh, really, really excited about him in our safety room. Yeah. And then for the second week in a row, coming in at number two is DJ Wanham, coming in at a seventy-four point five grade. Did very, very well uh, outside of two coverage snaps uh, that didn't go so well for him. He was a lead in every other category. Uh, so definitely love DJ Wanham, uh, especially considering uh, Marcus Davenport. Obviously, he got hurt. I'm expecting four to six weeks, unfortunately, with that injury. Uh, so hopefully DJ Wanham can continue on that performance to have another yep. uh, pressure on the other edge from Daniel Hunter. And coming up at number one, Jonathan Bullard at a 76.3 grade uh, had some pretty decent games for the last few weeks. Now I will say, like I, like I said before that the offensive line for the bears has been a little ding. So the interior looked a little bit better than maybe historical. So um, I don't want to be a Debbie downer. Maybe this will continue on, but uh, I, I do think that they had a little bit of an easier opponent come last week. Okay. Now I got to tell you, man, these PFF guys, I mean, they know football. That's for sure. But they left my guy Jordan Hicks out, man. He had, he had 10 tackles, he had a pick, and he took one to the crib for a score. And he's yeah. not, so so right there. I, I sound it sounds like I'm being critical of PFF, but I'm really just joking. I get But you. that that's proof positive that those guys at PFF are putting the work in. Yep. You know, you can tell they're not just looking at box scores and putting grades up on the screen. I mean, because Jordan Hicks and Byron Murphy completely filled up the stat sheet, got a ton of camera time and made plays in big moments, but neither of them were in the top five. Yep. Crazy. 
uh, the only reason I think he was digging that category is he actually gave up 51 yards, uh, 17 yards per reception. Uh, he had two missed tackles, and I think those big plays really dinged him. Otherwise, okay. he had elite performance in all the other categories. All right, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, in fact, I believe he is still like the 10th highest graded interior linebacker in the NFL right now. Okay, good. Um, I didn't love Harrison Phillips. I thought a Caleb Evans might have played better in the second half, but in the first half I saw poor angles and missed tackles. Mm -hmm. I don't like Davenport's. He might be a great guy and someday be a good player, but I don't think he, he couldn't have graded well. Um, and then, um, oh, uh, so Phillips, Evans, and Davenport were on my thumbs down list, but I, that's all, I know there's two more that we want to get to. Also, Daniil Hunter, I thought he played well. Was he? He wasn't in the close to the top five, huh? Going back to the positive side of things, he had a sack. And, yeah. yeah, you're right. He had uh, he had actually he had two, two sacks. sacks yeah, yep, two sacks. Yep. Uh, and that's where I've been really struggling to identify PFF's angle on this because they yeah. bo uh, poorly graded him across the board throughout the six weeks that we have played. Because he was in the bottom five. He was the fifth worst graded player on Sunday. Um, now he did have two coverage snaps that ended very poorly. So I think that dinged him a little bit considering that he's an outside linebacker and not a defensive end in terms of actual descriptor. Um, but at the end of the day, he had four, uh, four pressures, two sacks. Like, I mean, he did well in tackling, did well in pass for us. Coverage is where it was an issue. And then he had, I believe maybe five or six bad run defense plays yeah, that really okay. dinged him. I think, yeah. uh, he's been good in pass rush, but run defense has really been a struggle for him this year. Uh, okay. so I think that's maybe where, where you're getting that. Um, and then coming in at the fourth worst graded player was Harrison Phillips. Like you mentioned, he had a 59.0 yeah. grade, uh, good in tackling struggled in every other category, not getting a lot of interior push from, from Harrison. And then Brian Osimo coming in at the third worst. Mm. He did have a 55.5 grade. He missed almost every tackle, unfortunately. Uh, he was the worst graded tackler on the team, I believe. Uh, and then coming in at the second worst was Cam Bynum. Uh, ironically, he had a pretty poor day, um, although he has been you know, pretty phenomenal across this year. Uh, I still believe he's also a top 10 safety this year, according to PFF, through six weeks. He did not have a great game. Uh, he gave up uh, 30 yards, uh, 10 yards per reception. There was th three uh, receptions that really dinged him. Um, and coming in at the worst graded player was Marcus Davenport. He had a 35.7 grade. Obviously, his injury was not helpful there. Um, he's clearly playing through a lot. And I think uh, we'll get to it a little bit later, but I think if you want to really make a run this year, you have to plan for Marcus Davenport not to play. I mean, yeah. you cannot count on him. I agree. Clearly his ankles have been plaguing him throughout his entire career. And now his high ankle sprain is on the other ankle than the one that's bothering him. <laughs> so uh, that's man, I, it's too bad. You know, and it's happening because of injury primarily for him. The yeah. athleticism and explosiveness is there, but he gets hurt, and then you throw in a couple of bad snaps every now and then from him and just don't love it. Didn't like the signing at all when it happened, and it's not panning out. It's not going to pan out. Um, there are other players who are better. Uh, so all is not lost. The Vikings can recover from this, but this is one of those where the Josh Oliver signing was just tremendous. The Marcus mm -hmm. Davenport signing is horrendous, uh, unfortunately. Um, I, so did a Caleb Evans grade out okay then? Because I didn't love at all what I saw early on. I thought there were some poor angles and missed tackles early for him, but maybe he recovered. 
Yeah, he uh, did grade out at a 60.1 grade. He did well in run defense, but did very poorly in coverage. So he definitely had a, okay. a struggle bus uh, of a game okay. considering he was our starting right cornerback. Makai um, Blackman also only played one snap. Uh, so when you think about our two uh, two rookie safety uh, or uh, cornerbacks, Corners, yep. kind of an issue, yeah. Right, yep. um, so hopefully that can bounce back against right. the Niners. Okay. We are going to preview the San Francisco 49ers in a minute. But first, guys, I know you've got some stuff um, – that you wanted to get to with sort of season to date rankings and trends uh, from a data driven perspective that we want to sort of um, hit on and we'll sprinkle in our observations of the games and of, you know, the performance, but uh, we want to take a look at some of the numbers too. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I looked up a bunch of different stats uh, to look at what was working, what's not throughout six weeks, because got into the office on Monday morning and uh, a lot of people around the office were talking about the game. And most people were disappointed, even though we did come out with a W yeah, yeah. saying like, oh, it's it's clearly time to throw in the towel. Uh, we look like trash and a whole slew of other adjectives around the Vikings. And and, uh, you know, I think our, our team is usually pretty positive. And so I kind of I wanted I set out to try to figure out, like, are they accurate or are they not? Like when I think about the Minnesota Vikings for six weeks. We're currently 15th in yards, 15th in points, but we're sixth in yards per play. Okay, so uh, out of all NFL teams, we're the sixth best at, at getting the most amount of yards per play, which means if we're sixth or 15th in points and 15 in yards, we're simply not getting the ball as much as the other teams, which is kind of a schematic gameplay uh, scenario, which we'll get into the defense here in a second. We're fifth in touchdowns still. We're getting the fifth most amount of touchdowns than any other team in the NFL. Although we're 15th in points, we're fifth in touchdowns, which means we are 30th in field goals, which means we're really going for it a lot. Instead of going for a field goal, we're going to try to go to a touchdown and then we give the ball away, right? Um, so, or we, we end in a, a turnover, right? So that's another issue that's plaguing the Vikings. Yep. Um, we are currently first in the most turnovers lost. Uh, and when you look at half the league, our number of turnovers is over double half the league like in terms of turnovers. So we have significantly more turnovers than any other team in the NFL. Wow. So it's something to keep in mind when evaluating this team. That's not meant to say give it back, but we've said it before and I'll say it again. It is still a major issue for the Vikings that they have to fix if they ever expect to turn this season around. And then receiving, we're still first in passes completed. We're third in passing yards. We're second in passing touchdowns. We're 10th in yards per pass attempt. OK, um, which means we're not the best team at, at really cranking it down the field. We're kind of chunk playing it down the field uh, or, you know, we're, we're methodically going down the field. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. The part that I think is the real issue with our offense is that we are 32nd in rushing attempts. Now, I know I've talked about over establishing the run in certain contexts, but I do think we need to find a better way to have a better equilibrium because yeah. once again, we're 32nd in your in, in rushing attempts. We're 27th in rushing yards. We're 20th in yards per rush attempt, and we are 32nd in rushing touchdowns. Now, I, I'm i a big Alexander Madison fan personally. He's a good guy, but I think we need to make a switch up and put Cam Akers at RB1 because he's clearly a better option here. Whether he is elite or not, that's a different story, but we need to be able to improve our ratio when it comes to run and pass yep. because I think we are becoming far too predictable, and that is stopping our offensive firepower from actually reaching their true potential. What, what, I mean, you're right, Giles. And the thing I would say to it, like if we were in a, a, a Vikings team meeting on a Monday morning talking about what we're going to do from a personnel and coaching standpoint, what I would say is what is the downside? So just the running game, it needs to be more mm -hmm. impactful. Okay. Sounds good. That's the goal. What is the downside to swapping out Madison for acres? I, I mean, 
it's not going to get worse. Yep. Right? I mean, it, it's already zero. The run game is zero. It's a zero. You don't even worry about it or factor it in to preparing for this team. Do you? Do you think it's the paycheck? <laughs> I don't I mean, know, man. Like I mean, his pay, like, that happens to, to the people. Group. Yeah. I don't know. That happens to people. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or what. It's like, you're right. He's a good guy. And you turn on his college tape, man. You're looking at a guy who looks like he's running for his lunch. I mean, it looks mm -hmm. like if he doesn't break tackles, he ain't going to get fed. Mm -hmm. And now he can't catch and he can't break a tackle. Yep. Uh, it's so perplexing, but yep. it needs to be figured out. I wouldn't give up on him. You know, I'd, I'd work with him and develop him, and he'd be a, he'd be a practice, you know, you'd, you'd use him in practice and drill him and all that. But I mean, when it comes to games, man, I'm putting acres in there for and sure. I think, I think if we're going to go up against the Niners on Monday night, we have to do that because I also did a breakdown of, the personnel groupings and the percentage of snaps applied to each of those personnel groupings and the Vikings in 2023 so far have played 11 personnel 52% of the time, which I believe is 15th in the league in terms of, uh, you know, the most amount of usage on 11th or 11 personnel on first down. Yeah. We use 12 personnel, 23% of the time, 13 personnel, 6% of the time and 21 personnel, 14% of the time. Now, when you contrast that with the 49ers, the 49ers only use 11 personnel, 26% of the time. Mm -hmm. They use 12 personnel, ironically, 12% of the time this year, which I think is an adjustment. And they use 21 personnel, 50% of the time. So the 49ers, they're using 21 personnel the way that we use 11 personnel. Yeah. And I think... I mean, you tell me if I've been too uh, over-analytical about this, but I've really seen the Vikings as trying to mimic the 49ers in their style of play, and they are not matching that right now. Uh, the, the 49ers have shifted to be far more 21 personnel focused, yep. which ironically, we have the personnel for. We have elite personnel to be able to run 21 personnel. We just don't run it anymore. But if you did that, Giles, if you ran 21 personnel with the Vikings roster, your tight end has to be Oliver. Oh, Yes. I okay. Think so. yeah. and, and so I think who, he has the chops to be the receiving part of it too when you're running different plays out of 21. So that that means Hawkinson's snap count goes down significantly. If you're going to feature 21, mm -hmm. Hawkinson's snaps go down and who are the two backs? Ham? Is Ham one of them for you? Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Okay. Yep. It's Ham and Acres. And then Acres. And now you become you become a team that's got a shot to move the ball on the ground, control the ball, control the clock, protect Cousins. Mm -hmm. I can see this. Okay. But it's the I, paycheck that I think that is maybe preventing them because they just paid TJ all that money. They don't want to show the ownership group that, oh, we, we misspent that. I, I mean, you tell me if I'm looking at that incorrectly, but I feel like their paychecks are far more dictating snap counts than performance. The problem, though, Giles, no, the problem is – the owners are going to care about the paycheck in that regard when your record is two and four. But if you go four and two over the next six games, Hawkinson pays 15 plays, 15% of the snaps while you go four and two. Yep. Ain't, ain't Mark Wolf looking at Hawkinson's paycheck. He's looking at the fact that you won four out of six games. Yeah. That's and, and you could have, you know, um, Bozo the Clown in there playing tight end. And if you're four and two over your next six games, you're good. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I think the 21 personnel thing's a, a cool idea. Because 
obviously we signed CJ Ham, so obviously he's loved and he's a great fullback. I mean, one of the best in the league, if not the best fullback in the league. I think he's better than Uchak from the 49ers, if I'm wow. completely honest. Really? I mean, okay. you can call me on it. Like, I'd be willing to have that discussion, but I think at face value, I think I pick CJ Ham every time. And I think that's obviously going to increase your yards per rush attempt. And if you can run and pass equally from 21 personnel, I think that really presents a pretty dynamic, hard to guess offense. Uh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing right now isn't working. It yeah. just isn't. Like, no, it's not. Your it's not. Per, per player up, you're, you're, you're still middle of the league in yards and points, which you were much higher in uh, beginning in the league uh, through the first few weeks. But now you are definitely trailing back, especially with the deduction of Justin Jefferson. You need to find a way to move the ball without him. Are we equipped on the interior to do this? Because I think a part of being a 21 personnel team is you you're you are a bully up front now Bradbury's playing better Mm -hmm. if Cleveland's healthy I think he can do it I don't know about the right guard situation although I don't love Ed Ingram I don't know if Dalton Reisner is that much better at run blocking unfortunately uh but if you had to list out the top five teams in run blocking this year who do you think they are just throw a wild guess in terms of teams Baltimore. Uh, ugh, okay, not Ironically. great. <laughs> uh, run blocking, top run blocking teams. Man, that's good. I was just looking at running back performance, actually. Yep. And I'm like, it is so hard to identify who you think are the – and I, was, I wasn't looking at run blocking. I was looking at runners yep. because gone are the days of – you know, Derrick Henry and um, uh, DeMarco Murray and Adrian Peterson, like the bell cows who you just hand it to all the time. Man, run block, top run blocking teams, Cleveland, Seattle, Baltimore was in there, but they're probably not. You said they're 12, so they don't count. Uh, Miami. And they're I'll just, all in the top posture. You're you're getting closer. Are you going to tell me Minnesota? Minnesota is in the top five. Okay. Coming in oh, Detroit. Five, Detroit. Detroit. Detroit yep. is fourth. They have yep. the fourth best run blocking team. The fifth best run blocking unit is the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. The Niners are third. Yep. The Eagles are second. Yep. And the Minnesota Vikings are the best run blocking unit in All the right. NFL. Okay, so weeks. that answers the question that I asked you. Can they yep. do it up front? Yes, they can. Yes. The 21 yep. personnel idea is uh, brilliant. Well done. Well done on uncovering that and figuring it out. I love the idea. It's a reduction in snaps for Hawkinson. I think you can find a silver lining in that uh, down the road where if you're a 21 personnel team and Oliver's a part of it and it's effective and you're running the ball, you can actually make Hawkinson very lethal mm-hmm. on you know 35 snaps a game. Um, this is something that they, they should do, man. That's a good idea. And do you know who is number two in the usage of 21 personnel? Or I'm, I'm sorry, the 49ers are second in 21 personnel usage across the NFL through six weeks. Do you know who is number one? No, it's two backs. high-scoring team. Two backs and a tight end. Man. It's not the yeah. – no, it's not the Dolphins. It is the Dolphins. They wow. They 57% of the time. They're in 21, 57% of the time. 
and they're putting up some points, my man. <laughs> uh, so I think that may be a winning formula in the NFL right now. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll blow up in our face, but I think it's worth a try going against the Niners. Man, that's brilliant, man. I love that. Um, that's really good stuff. A great example of a conversation that combines scheme football observations with data man that that's really cool i love the idea and the vikings would be very smart to do that because they would be doubling down on what is performing well which is josh oliver right now and it helps mitigate the loss of justin jefferson right i mean Mm -hmm. because with you could do this with him but without Mm -hmm. him i think is even more of a reason to do it completely agree man i hope i hope so so what uh, let, let's let's um Kevin, if you're listening go let, for it <laughs> yeah yeah koc let's chart it man what what are the vikings tw- uh 21 personnel percentage right now what is it i'm gonna write it down 21 personnel we are using it 14 percent of the time okay i i want that number going up over the next month yep we're in 12 personnel 23 percent of the time we're in 11 personnel 52 percent get the out time. of that that's disgusting I, I, they are not an eleven personnel team right now. No, not at all. I, I, they're they're doing it, but they shouldn't be doing it. No, they should not be doing eleven personnel. In okay. fact, the top five teams that are using eleven personnel a lot are all teams with horrible records. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, get out of that. Get into twenty-one. Love it. That, that's a great take, Giles. Well done. Yep. All right. Um, let's preview this Niners game. Yeah. Last game on the slate this week, Giles. It is the 5 and 1 San Francisco 49ers traveling this weekend to Minnesota and to US Bank Stadium to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the Niners come off a tough loss in Cleveland last week where their kicker missed a chip shot game-winning field goal and they lose to the Browns. The Vikings are 2-4, and four, but they're coming off a win on the road at Soldier Field. Uh, and these teams will meet at U.S. Bank Stadium on Monday night. Kickoff slated for 7.15 p.m. Central Time on ABC and ESPN. The 49ers' guiles are installed as seven-point favorites, and the total is 44. Um, definitely a game nearly everyone who follows the league and the Vikings penciled in as a loss preseason, right? Um, 49ers, one of the best teams in the league, not just in the NFC, but in the league. They played in the NFC title game a year ago. They had that crazy stat last year where every team lost the week after they played the Niners because of their physicality. Um, on offense, they feature Christian McCaffrey, who got dinged in that uh, Browns game last week, but may play this week. Uh, they have a quarterback in Brock Purdy, who is uh, a great distributor of the football, rarely makes bad mistakes although he made some last week, but uh, for the balance of his short career so far, he's been um, a very, very smart player who rarely makes mistakes, can do anything Kyle Shanahan asks of the position. They have George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk to compliment McCaffrey on offense. Great offensive line led by Trent Williams, who we talked about earlier in the show. On defense, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstrad. And Javon Hargrave up front. The the Niners got Javon Hargrave from the Eagles. Uh, he was a star player for the Eagles, an unheralded but key player for the Eagles last year. Up front in the middle, it's Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Find a better linebacker tandem. I will wait. Back end, it's a cavalcade of athletic, instinctive defenders. Uh, a tremendous defense. The The baseline, the foundation of this defense was set by uh, the Jets head coach. Um 
Come on. What's his name, Giles? Jets head coach. Um, oh, um, what is his name? Come on. It is... Robert Sala. Yeah, Robert Sala. Uh, he set the foundation for this defense. Of course, he's gone on to the Jets, but um, he was uh, Kyle Shanahan's defensive coordinator. Uh, this is his defense. Uh, a lot of talented players, really good scheme. Suffice it to say, a huge challenge for the Minnesota Vikings. I can't, I'm going to hand it over to you now, Giles. All of that being said, I can't help but feel a little like positivity of the momentum gained from a road win in the division combined with playing at home against a team on the road for a second consecutive week who had an emotional letdown and a loss last week and is dinged up. Mm-hmm. You're going to see McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and Trent Williams all on the injury report this week. Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, I thought the Vikings would, be, would lose by two touchdowns. This week, we'll get to our predictions in a minute. I am far from that prediction. Am I crazy? You are not crazy. I think the the injuries are definitely something to underscore. I think emotions are definitely something to be considered, but I think led by Shanahan, I think that's something he'll whip up pretty quick. Okay. Uh, he'll, he'll set them right. So I think that's something that we shouldn't, Overexploit in our heads as a way to exploit them. It's definitely something to go for, but don't rely your game plan on it. Okay. Um, I think you need to schematically go toe to toe with these players because Kevin O'Connell obviously has a background in this. And I think when we're exploring the matchups, offense to defense on both sides of the ball, there are areas to exploit. So, for example, our defense with their offense. Now, obviously, they have one of the best skilled position units in the NFL. McCaffrey is a freak. Uh, Ayuk is the second best wide receiver, according to PFF uh, this year. Samuel is top 20. Jennings, their third wide receiver, is in the top 40. Although he's not a showstopper, he's still producing very above average. Kittle is the third best tight end. They obviously have some phenomenal pieces here. But I think the way to tackle this is through the interior. I think this is time to go NASCAR package. Their interior offensive line is abysmal. Uh, Their left guard is the 70. second ranked guard uh the right guard is 64th they have worse uh, guards than ed ingram uh right now through injury and like they're they're having some issues there so Yikes. i think if you go nascar package with dj wanham and daniel hunter i think there might be a way to the quarterback considering that purdy is not super mobile i think that might be a way to disrupt this uh because otherwise if you're trying to go toe-to-toe we don't have the personnel to match all their weapons interesting so, I think you gotta go put pressure on purdy okay now uh, with the way Bullard is playing uh, off of last week, I think he factors into that as well. Um, and then Tonga also played well, so he can help on the interior. Uh, they yeah. wouldn't necessarily be part of the NASCAR package, but for the balance of the game, they can maybe win yeah. some battles on the inside. Um, I think you make an interesting observation there, Giles. Truthfully, I I think about the Niners, and I, I don't even think to look and critically analyze the offensive line because it's been so good for so long. However, when you take a close look at it and you do your due diligence, you do see that this is not what we've been accustomed to up front for the Niners. Now, um, defensively, they are very strong in that area. Offensively, they are not. So that's interesting. Um, Even more credence than to the 21 personnel um, opinion and the defense cam acres uh situation where you want to give that a shot um might might be uh, a really good spot to do that uh here this week so uh, i hope the vikings are listening to that 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. And when you look at their defense, I mean, other than maybe the Cleveland Browns, the 49ers have the best defense. Oh, in the so uh, good. Bosa is the best edge rusher in football right now. The middle linebacker group, they're performing out of their minds. Their secondary is still, they're, they're not the most elite, but they are as close to being elite without being elite as possible. Uh, obviously, they have, they have studs across the board. They have Hargrave up front. They have Armstead up front. They have some real performers in this regard. And I think we're going to have to go toe-to-toe with them. We need to be able to punch back when they punch us in the mouth. I know we've said that a lot throughout the course of the season. And I think, once again, 21 personnel might be the only way in which we can actually do that, where we can out-scheme them versus simply just rely on performance to performance because I think there's, uh, there's quite a feat here on Monday night. Yeah. Um... Fred Warner is so good, man. So Um, good. He is fun to watch. He is like, if you go prime Eric Kendricks in a prime Mike Zimmer defense, Mm -hmm. Fred Warner is a little better than that. That's like how good he is. I mean, he is... Like, remember when they had – he's a different player than Patrick Willis, but the type of impact that Patrick Willis had on a game is the type of impact that Fred Warner has on a game. He's not the same player. They play differently. But, like, Fred Warner is a problem. Yep. And um, so is Dre Greenlaw, for that matter. But, like, Fred Warner, I promise you right now, we're recording this on – what it's a Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the Vikings are talking about Fred Warner right now. Uh, in between morning walkthrough and afternoon practice, like on the scout, there is a number 54 on the scout team. He's one of the, not every player is represented on the scout team with a practice jersey. There is a Vikings practice squad member wearing a number 54 penny when the Vikings offense is on the field. You game plan around Fred Warner. You just watch. And I hope the Vikings can find a way to mitigate his impact and neutralize him because if they don't, he'll ruin the game for you ruin the game especially when it comes to our tight end room i mean when you're looking at the 49ers defense they only have one player on their starting defense that scores below a 67 pff only one player and that one player scored a 66.8 grade <laughs> so he's right at 67 now if you if you're at 67 68 69 for the vikings you're in the top five every week man Correct. And, and they got no players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say there's only two players that scored below a 70. All right. Players. And they got almost no one below that. And that would be a top five for us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, I did look at special teams here, too. And I, I don't know that there's any distinct uh, mismatch there. If anything, I think the Vikings have an advantage um, in that regard. Uh, sounds like we believe there's an you believe there's an advantage on the interior on offense. Uh, there's no advantage to be gained against this Niners defense. They're elite at every level. Um, the inclusion of McCaffrey, Debo, and Trent Williams is important here. What's your expectation? I'll go first. I expect Williams to play and McCaffrey to play. I'm not sure about Debo. Honestly, I think they're all going to play. Yeah. Because I think after coming off a loss, I think that team recognizes how important this year is where they're still in a Super Bowl window and they need the best record possible. They need to go get the one seed and I think they all recognize what this game means to them. Good point. The Vikings aren't a pushover team. Although they have a horrible record, they're not a pushover team and I oh, think no. they're going to force those guys to be on the field. Yep, you're right. The Vikings are 2 and 4, but they're not a team you overlook probably, right? Especially yep. having one on the road last week. Um, Shanahan's respect for KOC is certainly a factor there. So, yeah, I, I don't think that the Niners will, will overlook this. Um, 
I, I think I think that maybe Debo plays, but Trent Williams will play. I, um, and McCaffrey's thing is like a rib oblique situation, so I I think his snaps will be limited, either because they'll have him on a pitch count or because he'll be taking hits and he'll need a breather from it. Um, but yeah, but yeah, they're, they're out there, man. And look, the Niners were on the road in the title game last year. And as someone who's been inside the ropes for Vikings teams that were on the road in title games twice, you talk about that afterwards and you come back the next year and you're like, God, if we only, if we had that game in our, in our backyard, if we had that title game. If we if we would have played the Saints at home, it would have been different. If we would have played the Eagles at home, it would have been. Di- you talk about that, so you're right. The Niners are definitely talking about the importance of the one seed, having lost the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia last year. So, all hands on deck for the Niners. They will not overlook the Vikings this week. They might not beat the Vikings this week, but it won't be because they overlooked them. Let's get to the predictions, Skiles. I'll let you go first. I've got mine written down. Tell me what you're thinking is going to happen. Again, the spread is seven. Niners are favored by seven, and the total is 44. What do you got? This is not what I want to happen, but I think it's what will happen. I think this will be a 21 to 17 game. Huh. 49ers. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I had a feeling we were going to be really close. I don't know if that's reversed or right side. Oh, yeah, 22 16. There we yep. go. 22 <laughs> 16. We're right there with each other. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, I I um so let's 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 talk about that a little bit. How how you think it gets there? Because what I foresee is early on it being hard to score for both teams. Like I see I see it being physical, I see everyone being tight, um hard to score, field goals, um just tough going, tough sledding for both teams. And then I think early in the third quarter, uh Shanahan and O'Connell, who are brilliant offensive minds, figure some things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the points come early on. And then yeah. I think there are clutch moments in the fourth quarter where the lack of Ju- of Justin Jefferson and the thumbs-down nature of Hawkinson so far just really hurts the Vikings. And there are second and longs and third and mediums that they just can't convert because they don't have Jefferson out there, and, and they end up not being able to drive down and, and score that game-winning touchdown at the end of the game. That's kind of how I see it going. Yep, uh, I completely agree. I think that's the exact formula or the script that's going to happen because both of these coaches are chess makers. Uh, they're chess players. Yeah. I think they're going to they're gonna outwit each other in a lot of categories for the first half. Uh, now, that's also not assuming turnover that can obviously send games through a loop. Uh, but I do expect this to be low scoring through the first half, like you mentioned, and then the, the points coming in the second half, more importantly in the third quarter, it'll be a little bit of back and forth, but I do think the 49ers come up yeah. victorious. Yep. I think if there's a path to victory here for the Vikings, it's, um, you know, it's not turning it over and getting Brock Purdy on a game like the Browns had last week where he just he wasn't making accurate throws he was feeling pressure now it was raining it was cold there's Miles Garrett there's all sorts of things there that aren't gonna be there on Monday night um but to me if the Vikings win it's not they outrace them and it's it's 31 28 it's it's scoring on defense it's sacks it's um turning the ball over it's McCaffrey out because he's hurt and he's back in but then he's out again and it's that that sort of game so like i said 
uh, a little while ago. I thought this was a two-touchdown loss for the Vikings two weeks ago. This week, I think we're watching the Vikings with the ball in the fourth quarter down six with a chance to drive for a touchdown to win the game. That's what I think we're going to see as a possibility. Whether that yeah. happens or not, time will tell. Yeah. It'll yeah. be an exciting game to watch, nonetheless. It'll be a physical game. Yeah. Uh, it's been circled on my calendar for this uh, yeah. for this season. Really excited yeah. to watch it. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to like, subscribe, and follow the Wobcast 2.0. You can do that wherever you find all your other favorite football content and podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, we're on YouTube. So make sure you catch us there if you're not doing so already. It's Vikings Niners Monday night, so enjoy your Sunday of football stress-free. Sunday of football, root for other NFC teams to lose, and then tune in on Monday night for the Vikings and the 49ers, see if the Vikings can put a winning streak together and upend one of the better teams in the National Football League. On behalf of Giles, this is Wabi signing off for now. Until next time, Skull Vikings.